Well, we are continuing our sermon series on speaking Christianese. I'm talking about the words that we use and the, the concepts that we use in Christianity and how so often we, we miss the boat. One of my favorite things to do in preaching is to preach things that people are familiar with and uh, then to mess them up. <laughs> You know, to, to uh, there's a uh, it's called defamiliarization, or there's a Russian term for it called ostranany. It means when you think you know about something, okay, for you to know something new about it, it has to become strange. What's familiar to you has to become strange so that you can learn it in a different way. And I, I'm loving the experiment here of talking about some of our Christian language, the things we say as Christians, and trying to defamiliarize them, trying to make them fuzzy, so that then you can approach these words and these concepts in different ways. Today I want to talk about a few faith words, and and we're we're taking these from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It, It may be a familiar verse to some of you. It's real simple. It says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So today I want to talk about faith, hope, and love, and then I'm going to get a bonus word in here to start. I want to talk about the word believe because I want to use the word believe to set up what faith means. So we begin with the word believe. Now think about how you use the word believe in everyday conversation. This is how I normally hear it. I see somebody will say, I believe it was Thursday. Or I believe it was 10 days ago. In other words, when we use the word believe in everyday talk, we often use it when we are not sure. Right? That we say, I believe it was Thursday. As in, it might have been Friday. I don't know. I believe it opens at 2 o'clock. Okay? There's a believe... um, But we don't use the word believe about gravity, right? Like, I don't believe that when I drop this, it'll fall. I don't believe that grass is green. I know the grass is green. I can see it. I'm I'm familiar with it, right? So, So what is this word believe that we use? When we use the word belief, we tend to use it as intellectual knowing, okay? Especially when we start talking about faith. Like, like I, I know it. I'm aware of it. But, but really, in the scriptures, belief is different than that. The old English word believe comes from two words, be and loaf. L-O-E-F. Beloaf. To beloaf literally means to hold dear. Okay? And think about it. It doesn't actually, when, we, when I say it in old English, beloaf, it doesn't sound like believe. It actually sounds like beloved. There's a reason for that. It's because to believe is to beloved. Believe is way more than saying, I believe in Santa Claus. To believe is to beloved. Okay, so it's not like saying, I believe in Santa Claus. It's like me pulling my child aside before they're going to do something hard and saying, I believe in you. Right? When I say that to my child, it's not the same as what I say about Santa Claus. And what I'm saying when I say to my child that I believe in them, I'm saying, I love you. I believe in what you could be. I trust you to rise to this challenge. I believe in you. I beloved you. The Bible and the Christian tradition never mean believe as belief in the existence of. 
In fact, James 2.9 says it really clearly. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I hear so many Christians talk about, oh, you just got to believe in God. If that's all it took was believing in God, then Satan would be the primary Christian. Okay, because he's talked to God face to face. He is 100% sure. There's no doubt. He is 100% sure that God exists. Right? Okay, I believe in Brad Pitt. I've seen him in movies, some good, some bad. I've seen him on the cover of magazines. If Brad Pitt comes into church in the second service and I see him, I'm probably going to know who he is, right? Like, I, I believe that Brad Pitt exists. That's way different than knowing Brad Pitt. That's way different than having a relationship with Brad Pitt. See, the Enlightenment put a premium on intellectual understanding and elevated knowledge, knowing, to a higher level. But biblical believing is about beloving. Mark 12, 30 doesn't say that you should believe in God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It says you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when the creeds say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, it, it, you got to think in your head, I don't believe in Him, I, I believe in Him. I beloved him. Okay? That I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. Like I believe in my kids. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This helps us get over a misconception that people seem to have about belief. Again, when we use it in everyday communication, we tend to have we tend to use the word belief when there is doubt. Like I believe it was Thursday, but I'm not quite sure. But when we come into churchy stuff. And we say believe. We, and we, we like assume it has to have no doubt. I believe without a doubt. No. Actually, when we use it every other place, we get it right. Belief always has doubt. Because if I know, then I don't, it's not belief. Belief, are not, belief and doubt are not opposites. Belief involves doubt. Belief and doubt are dancing partners. It's only belief if there's some measure of doubt. Without this understanding, Christians tend to freak out because they think, well, I don't, maybe I don't believe because I have doubt. No, it's belief when you have doubt. And when in the middle of your doubt, you decide that you're going to believe anyway. Okay, and then what, what Christians often do then is they just pretend like they don't see the stuff that bothers them. Like they avoid all the hard stuff that makes you doubt. If you don't have doubt about your faith... Come see me. I can show you a couple things that will give you a lot of doubt. Okay, faith is not, belief is not without doubt. Belief is exactly where doubt is. This then allows us to talk about faith. When we say we need to have faith, we, we pretty much just mean belief. Which I've already said is not really about just an intellectual knowing. But a lot of times when we say faith, it basically means the same thing as intellectually knowing. i got to have faith. And I just got to know that Jesus exists. But, but the real word for faith is not a synonym for belief. Faith is really, in the Bible and the Christian tradition, more like when I say that I'm faithful to my spouse. Okay, when I say I'm faithful to my spouse, I don't mean I believe in my spouse. I do believe in my spouse. Okay, but, but it means I'm faithful to. I actually live a certain way. Okay, faith takes true belief and moves it a step further. In the, in the Roman world, faith, the word faith, pistis, actually meant 
allegiance. It meant loyalty. Okay? And, and when the word faith is translated into Latin, it becomes fidelitas. Fidelity. Faith is actually about action. And I can show you this. In, in, let me give you two examples of Jesus talking about faith in the Bible. In Matthew 14, Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. He's actually walking on the water. Peter gets excited, jumps out of the boat, starts walking towards Jesus until the storm is really sort of pushing Peter around, you know? And um, seeing the waves of the storm, he begins to sing. Jesus comes over to him, catches him. And what does he say to him? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Three chapters later, in Matthew 17, the disciples come to Jesus asking why they cannot cast out a demon from a boy. And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, which is really, really teeny, you, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. See, when Jesus talks about faith, it's not just about belief, it's about action. Like, if you have faith, this mountain will move over there, and you can walk on the water. Faith is action. To say it another way, faith is active trust. It's taking action, living your life, being faithful. It's actually faith, not when you have it in your head at home by yourself. It's faith when you're living it out. To be faithful. Faith is action. Now, we can see why hope is listed with faith in Paul's description of the Christian life. When we say hope, we often mean a wish or a want. Like, I hope it's a boy. Or I hope it's on sale. Like, when we say that, what we're saying is, I wish. Or I want. But in the Bible, hope is not a wish or a want. Like, I hope, it, I hope the rain stops later. Hope is an inner knowing. It's an inner security. We, we, we might describe it in our hymns as a blessed assurance. Biblical hope is a settledness that comes from knowing who you are and whose you are. I use that phrase often in my sermons, and I'm very serious about it. Who you are and whose you are. There's a settledness that comes inside that though the storms may be swirling around you, you know who you are. Jesus doesn't talk specifically about hope in his teachings that we have, but he does talk a lot about not being anxious, about being secure, about how God has overcome the world. And listen to this scripture from Hebrew, uh, Hebrews chapter 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. See, we're talking about insurance. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain or the veil where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, hope, the author of Hebrews says, is an anchor. 
It's an anchor, and, it's, and it holds. As we're about to sing in our last song, it's an anchor that holds within the veil. I love how he describes this. Hope is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Some of you might need to write that down and put it in a place where you can see it because the world seems crazy around you. But your hope, whose you are and who you are in Christ. That, that's, a, that's an anchor that though the waves are tossing around you and life is crazy, I can hang on to this hope. And in the Bible, hope is often tied to the future. It's like, it's like we know how this story ends. We know how it may feel like we're behind in the game right now. But, but we know what happens in the fourth quarter. All right, we, we know how the story ends. And so even though it feels crazy right now, I can feel secure even in the midst of this chaos. I love that image of hope like an anchor. And one thing you might not know about anchors is that man- anchors don't just stop your ship. In the ancient world, they didn't have motors, right? And a lot of times ships didn't have a lot of people, so they, didn't, they weren't able to really row big ships so part of how you moved when you had no wind is with your anchor. Okay, you would take a small boat and you would, you would, somebody, two people would haul the anchor out in front of your boat and then they would drop the anchor. And the anchor would go straight down and it would pull the boat forward to where the anchor got dropped. And then you'd haul up the anchor and then, then the boat would go out again. It would drop the anchor and the anchor could actually move you. The anchor, this anchor imagery isn't just to hold you, it's to keep you moving forward when you feel like the winds are against you or you feel like you have no winds at all. So maybe some of you need to write that verse down. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You need to find this inner sense of hope that no matter what's going on, you could find this hope. So we've talked about belief, faith, hope. Lastly, love. We throw around this word so much. I might say I love you. I'm going to say I love you to my wife today. It's Mother's Day. Guys, you better at least do that. But I might also say that I love the Steelers and I love coffee. Right? How can I use, in in English I have this one word, love, that, that I use over my kids and I use over tacos. Right? But, but in, in the biblical languages, there, there's way more words for love. Uh, in Hebrew, they're, they're, in, in Greek, there are three main words for love. So I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew here. You've got to say these with me. Raya. Say raya. Tell me something you'd say at a karate class. Okay. Raya is friendship or companionship in Hebrew. Okay? It's just about caring for somebody else. So that's raya ahava. Everybody say ahava. It's one of my. It's a great word to say. Is deep affection of the mind or the heart. It's committed. Ahava involves a commitment. Okay, it, it's like the difference between having a crush on somebody or just loving somebody as a friend versus now I'm, I'm in some kind of relationship with you. I'm committed to you. Ahava. So, Song of Solomon eight seven says, "Many waters cannot quench ahava." Neither can floods drown it. Ahava lasts. The, the third Hebrew word is dod. Everybody say dod. Dod literally means to carouse, rock, or fondle. 
physical affection. You might, you might have actually heard the word dote, to dote on someone. It comes from this word. Okay? The Greek have three kind of parallel words to those Hebrew words. Phileo. Everybody say phileo. Phileo is brotherly love, as in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. A city clearly not named for its Flyers fans. Phileo, brotherly love, very much like Raya. Agape. Everybody say agape. Agape is committed love, love that takes action or care for another. It's a lot like Ahava, agape love. And eros, eros is physical love. It's where we get the word erotic from. You can see in the Bible this wide range of words for love. There are different kinds of love. There's different kinds of love and types of love and different ways in which you have to love in different moments. There's all kinds of places where these words for love actually come into play. Like John 21, when Jesus reinstates Peter. Remember, Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus dies, rises again, sees Peter, and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And again, in English, we get this word love. Do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love me. But when actually in Greek, they're using different words. Jesus is saying, do you agape me? Do you love me with a committed love? And Peter can't say that because he denied Jesus three times. So he says, yeah, Lord, I phileo you. I, I, I love you with a brotherly love. And Peter, do you agape me? No, Lord, I, I, I love you with a phileo love. And then the third time Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? As if Jesus is saying to Peter, hey, if all you got is that kind of love, I'll take it. But even with the nuances of the words love, the Bible still wrestles with what love really means. And Paul writes this great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, which our verse for the day comes out of, faith, hope, and love. And a lot of times we read it at weddings. It has nothing to do with weddings. What, Peter is, what Paul is actually trying to do is help these Corinthians understand what real love is about. So let me just read a couple of verses. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I mean, if you had to highlight this, what's Paul saying? He's saying real love isn't about you. It's about somebody else. Real love isn't about its own interests. It's about somebody else. Therefore, it's patient. It's kind. It's not boasting or arrogant. It's not resentful. It doesn't have to be right. That doesn't mean that, that true love isn't without uh, sometimes anger, sometimes uh, correction. Okay, I hear this from Christians a lot of times. Christians are really getting this word love confused. I hear Christians say, well, we just need to love everybody. Well, yeah, we need to love everybody. But that doesn't mean you don't correct everybody, right? We all know those people that never corrected their kids, and it wasn't loving. Because their kids ended up having to learn a lot of hard lessons that they should have learned when they were five. And now they're 35, and they're learning them the hard way. Love involves corrections. Well, how does Paul say it? I love how Paul said it. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, it's still truth-telling. 
I may not keep score. I may not stay bitter. But, but I have to tell the truth of seeking what's best for the other person, which sometimes means having a hard conversation. So today, look at your life in Christ. If Christ is within you, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, if that's whose you are and that's who you are, then you should live a life of belief, faith, hope, and love. So belief. Do you beloved God? Do you trust? Even though you have doubts, you choose to follow anyway. Faith. Do you have active trust? Are you faithful to Christ by the way you live your life? Is your ultimate allegiance to Christ? Or is it to yourself? Or is it to what other people think of you? What's your real allegiance? What are you actually faithful to? Hope. This one's the one I think that has gotten the most beat up in the last year for a lot of people. Do you have an inner security that comes, that, that, that is an anchor? So, so no matter what happens around you, you're not rocked. Is Christ that anchor that, that keeps you steady and that keeps you moving forward? Or are you trying to find your hope in something else? Love. Do you have a life full of all these types of love? Are you working towards having true, selfless ahava and agape? Is the love in your life committed to the, to the best around you? Or is a lot of your love actually self-seeking? See, Paul says that what really abides and lasts in this world into eternity is faith, hope, and love. So my prayer for you is that your life may be full of those things even on your worst days. And today, as it's Mother's Day, may you be thankful for the people that showed you that kind of love, that taught you that kind of faith, that gave you that kind of hope, that believed in you. And may you be that for someone else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.